Welcome to Catholic Money Talk, where we talk about all things money and finance, and we try to do it through a lens of being Catholic, where our ultimate goal is to one day be in heaven with the Lord. I am your host, Paul Scarfone. Thank you for being here today. Today, I'm going to walk you through the final element, the seventh element of creating a financial plan, and that is replacing money myths with money truths. But before we do that, let's say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We ask you for all the grace and wisdom that we need to face the challenges or the circumstances that we might find ourselves in. We know that you love us and that you have a great plan for us. Allow us to yield to your Holy Spirit. We ask all this through Jesus' name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. So we've been through all the other six elements of creating a financial plan. The first one is assessing the current financial situation. The second, setting goals. The third one, write out a detailed plan. Then number four was execute the plan. Fifth element, regularly monitor and reassess the plan. The sixth element, know your money personality. And the seventh element, that's what we're doing today, it's to replace money myths with money truths. The seventh element is similar to the sixth one in that we don't need to do this in any particular order, and it's never really completely done, right? Money myths, they pop up all the time. As time goes on, as the world changes, there's new and different tides that can try and affect us. We need to be prepared to sort through the nonsense, the distractions, and really understand the truth about the situation that we're in. Today, we're going to look at four common money myths how they get our attention, how they impact us, and how we can overcome them. First, let's look at what a myth is. Right? Oxford Dictionary provides two definitions of a myth. The first, well, that's a traditional story that tries to explain an old or ancient phenomenon. So think of kind of myths and legends. The second definition of myth, it's, it's a widely held but false belief. So in other words, something that isn't true also known as a lie. Now, if you grew up in a Catholic household like I did, you were taught at a young age that lies are bad. In fact, most of us would agree that lies are bad. There's something that goes against our natural moral law that lies are bad. In fact, according to natural law theory, we can figure out by means of unaided human reason without religion that lying is wrong. And Well, since I'm Catholic, I thought, let me see what the Catholic Church teaches about lying. Now, I know it goes against the Eighth Commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor, but let's look a little further to see what the Catechism of the Catholic Church has to say about it. In paragraph 2464 of the Catechism, it says, the Eighth Commandment forbids misrepresenting the truth in our relations with others. Okay. Then a few lines later, in paragraph 2467, it says, Man tends by nature toward the truth. He is obliged to honor and bear witness to it. It is in accordance with their dignity that all men, because they are persons, are both impelled by their nature and bound by a moral obligation to seek the truth. Wow. Then three lines later, in paragraph 2469, men could not live with one another if there were not mutual confidence that they were being truthful to one another. Wow, that's true. We can see that in our relationships all the time. And then it goes on 
And if you have not read this in the Catechism, it's really a great read. In fact, it it even covers the use of social communication media from paragraphs 2493 to 2499. And just thinking of news outlets, social media, and on and on, how much of it has just a blatant disregard for the truth. It, this is really a good read. Just it's timely. So the idea is that we need to live in the truth. John 8.32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So that's what I'm hopefully going to do with a few common money myths today. Just talk about them and provide some truth so that you can live in freedom. So here is the first common money myth we'll look at today. Myth. Everyone else is doing better than me. This is a myth that we get bombarded with constantly. It usually originates just within us. It can come as some form of jealousy or envy, and it's a constant drive for us to want something better than what we have. It's the age-old quest to keep up with the Joneses. From the outside, others might look like they're doing better than us. We're surrounded by social media, and we see a highlight reel of everyone's life. We want what we see others have, but we don't see the whole story. We don't see the stress, the fights, the fear, the challenges that others are dealing with. They create this facade to make everyone think they are doing great. So let's replace that myth, that myth that everyone is doing better than us. Let's replace it with some truth. So actually, truth, over 60% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, and over 70% of millennials are living paycheck to paycheck. Well, truth 42% of Americans have less than $1,000 in savings. In fact, the average U.S. household have only $4,500 in savings. So as we work these steps to create a financial plan, a solid financial plan, we'll begin to care less about what others have or how others are doing or how we are doing compared to others. And actually, This isn't a book that I love. It's called The Blessed Life, and it's written by Robert Morris. He talks about the sin of pride and that the sin of pride causes us to compare ourselves with others. So let's free ourselves from the sins of pride. Let's free ourselves from the myth that everyone's doing better than us, and let's focus on the Lord. He has a great plan for us. Let us seek his will for our lives, and let's work to follow it. So the next myth jumps in front of us all the time. Companies market this to us constantly. They rely on our desires and our wants, even our needs sometimes, and they want to sell us things. They want to make a profit on us. So here's today's second myth. Myth. If you can afford the payment, you can afford the thing. We see this with houses, cars, and and really most large purchases. These companies push us to make a quick decision. They offer instant gratification. They want to force us to make a quick decision just in this vacuum without trying to really fully see the big picture. Now, debt's a slippery slope. Most people, when they regularly use debt to purchase things, it's usually because they just haven't planned well. There are so many reasons people may fall into debt, but but this is the biggest, the biggest myth. Companies and people will position this myth, right? If you can afford the payment, you can afford the thing, as the sole point of discernment and encourage you to make the purchase. Now, I'm planning in a later episode to really tackle a lot of the myths and truths around debt, but today, I really want us to just see this myth. If you can afford the payment, you can afford the thing. Most of us have found ourselves in a pickle due to this myth, but the payment can eat up our income, and it causes other ripple effects in our life. 
that we're not taking into consideration. And this is not how to determine if we can afford the thing. In my story, I, I think I mentioned it in my identifying lifestyle creep episode, one of my earliest ones. I was buying a car. I had just gotten a raise at work, and the monthly payment for the new to me used car was just under the amount of my monthly raise. So I bought the car. And then driving home, I realized I had made a mistake. There were other things that I needed to accomplish, things that the Lord had put before me, but before us. And in my maybe selfish desire for a different car, I used this lie, the myth, as my final discernment for my purchase. I'll pick a little bit on car payments here. Here's the truth. The truth. The average car payment in the U.S. right now is $715. Guys, that's the average. That means for each person with a $300 car payment, there's another one with a $1,000 car payment. To me, that's just crazy. Here's another truth. Truth. 69% of American homeowners are house poor. House poor is when people feel financially stifled because of their home payment. A rule of thumb to determine if you're house poor or not is that you spend more than 28% of your monthly income on monthly house payment. So 69% of Americans spend more than 28% of their monthly income on housing costs. But mortgage companies allow people to use up to 45% of their income to qualify for their monthly mortgage payment. The whole industry has bought into this myth and they are causing so many problems. This happened to us when we bought our first home. The mortgage we got was actually, the the monthly payment was actually 50% of our gross monthly income. Our gross monthly income. We're able to get them to approve us for 50% because we qualified for a government program. Oh boy, it sure wasn't helpful. But we didn't know the truth. We didn't know how to make the decision. We allowed the mortgage rep to just sell us a lie and we were stuck. 50% of our gross income It ended up being like 53% of our take-home pay, and we felt the pinch for years until we finally started seeking wisdom on our finances. So just because you think you can afford the payment, that doesn't mean you can afford the, the thing. The next myth comes at us from different angles, and they might sound like this. Myth, everyone needs a credit card. Or myth, credit cards are great financial tools. Or myth, credit cards are important to build your credit. Or myth, you can't live without a credit card. Or myth, credit cards are great for emergencies. Or myth, credit cards are only a problem if you don't pay them off every month. Or on and on and on and on. And, oh boy, I can already sense the tension. Some of you are getting ready to turn turn this off because you're feeling offended. Because here I am about to say how bad credit cards are. And you love your credit card. You love your points. If it wasn't for all those points and miles, you wouldn't be able to go on a vacation or celebrate Christmas with your family. Your credit card is the source of all the good things in life. Well, there it is. My New Jersey sarcasm is on full display. I do not hate credit cards. I don't. What I do think is dangerous, though, is our love and our reliance on them. Look, I used to sell credit cards to people and corporate credit card programs to businesses. I know all about it. I used to sell credit card processing to businesses. I get it. I've been there. I've made up more arguments for credit cards than you can come up with. I did it for several years. The bank taught me how to do it. I was trained. I got experience. I was good. And I trained others. 
So why did the bank want us to sell credit cards? To make the bank money. Yes, they could help people and businesses facilitate payments, but their main goal is to make a profit. And they have done such a great job of sowing and cultivating these credit card myths that they are so widely held. Just think, there aren't many products that businesses sell that have people on their hands and knees pleading to them to sell them their product. Banks and credit card companies, they've done that. People plead and beg to get approved for their credit cards. And so many people have such a strong allegiance to the first credit card they ever owned. Like, seriously, how crazy is that? They identify so strongly with their credit card. And they rattle off all the benefits like they're the commercial. I get travel insurance, a lounge at the airport, rewards points, I buy my Christmas presents, they give me 2%, 3%, whatever, cash back, blah, 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 blah. I mean, seriously, how better off would this world be if we spoke about Jesus and all that he's done for us the way people speak about their credit cards and their rewards programs? The world would be such a better place. So here's my story with credit cards, and I'll, I'll highlight the truths about them. So truth, credit cards teach us that we can buy something now and pay for it later. That's actually how credit cards work. You can borrow the money today, then pay it in full next month. You can get up to 30 days interest-free, depending on the cycle. And then after that, you pay a pretty exorbitant interest rate. Truth. As of the fourth quarter of 2022, total American credit card debt was $986 billion. That's with a B. The average American household owes over 7500 in credit card debt. Truth. People spend more when using a credit card than they do when using a debit card or cash. Now, there have been several different studies that prove this. The percentages, they vary a little on how much more they spend, but they all show people spend more when using a credit card. There is a classic analogy of a speedometer. People tend to speed more if they can't see their speedometer. The same is true with spending. If we don't see the money come out of our wallet or our account, we don't feel the weight of the purchase. We do feel the weight of the purchase on our credit card, but that's not until we see the statement or we get the credit card bill. And the last truth I have on this for today, and there there's several, several more truths about credit cards, but the last one for today is truth. When you don't use credit cards, you never have a credit card bill. Duh. And I love this one. The same can be said for credit card debt. You'll never have credit card debt if you never use a credit card. So I already mentioned I used to sell credit cards. And then when we were when I was selling credit cards, we, me and Taryn, uh, our family, we stopped using them because I wanted to test some of the theories I had heard, right? That credit cards might be bad or dangerous financial tools. So we stopped. The first month we stopped using credit card was really hard. See, we usually always paid it off each month, but we were living paycheck to paycheck. So the first month we stopped using the credit card, we had a pinch. We had to pay for the current month's expenses plus last month's credit card bill. And that was pretty tough. It actually took us about two and a half months to, to say goodbye to the credit card forever. So it, it, it took us just that long to wean off of it. But then the cool part happened. We never got another credit card bill. That was so awesome. It, it, and it's been awesome for the last nine plus years. We've not had a credit card bill. It used to be our biggest bill every month. And now it just 
doesn't even exist. Yes, we don't get rewards points anymore, but not having a credit card bill feels so much better than getting the rewards points felt. And it's it's changed our entire perspective. See, credit cards teach us to get it now and pay for it later. Not using a credit card teaches discipline and patience. We save up, then we buy when we want it. Sometimes we save up, then we change our mind, and oh boy, then we end up having extra money. You can't do that with a credit card. With a credit card, you will get your thing now. Maybe you use it. Maybe you decide you don't want it. You stop using it. And then the bill comes and you have to pay for it. And it makes you sick. And that sickness, that's called remorse. And it can be tough. So, okay, if you're still listening, that means you haven't tired of me talking about credit card myths. Uh, so you might be curious. You might be wondering. You might be wondering if what I'm saying is true. I, I really can't argue the points much more. But what I can do is challenge you. Stop using credit card. Take the next couple of months and stop using them. Experience how it feels not having a credit card bill, not having a remorse. To think of it, it's kind of, it's actually kind of how we evangelize people to Christ, right? And his love. We can't argue it. We can't argue it with them. They just have to take a step and experience it for themselves. So I challenge you to do that with credit cards. Just stop using them. Hey, worst case scenario, you go three months, you miss logging into your Visa or your American Express account to pay your bill or browse through the rewards choices, and you decide, hey, I just I can't do this. I can't live without a credit card. Well, go ahead. Start using your credit card again. Jesus will still love you. But best case scenario, you'll experience a new moment of freedom. Freedom from a credit card. Freedom from the myth that credit cards are the only way to live. You will experience a new level of control over your finances that will lead you to be a better steward of what Christ has given you. Because that's what we're called to be, stewards. Everything belongs to God. And we need to hold ourselves accountable to using it to know him, to love him, and to serve him. And that brings us to today's last myth. Myth. I don't have enough to be generous. Or maybe it sounds more like myth. I'm too poor to give. When we place all of these myths that we've spoken about today in a long line, they start to sound like this. I need to be able to be enjoying life like everyone else. To do that, I need stuff and things. I need a home. I need a nice car. And I'll make payments on all these things so I can experience a fun, happy, full life. I don't want to miss out. And I only live once. But then things get tight. So I need to use credit to ease my cash flow. It gives me more flexibility and helps me to deal with financial emergencies. And then I get to a point where I want to give but I feel bad. I want to help someone, but I can't. I've been so busy chasing distractions and buying the myths in life that I'm not in a position to help others. I've consumed everything and have nothing left to give. I want to change. I need to change. Well, that's where I was. I got to a point where I was using all that I learned at the bank, all that I heard, and all the myths that I bought into. I followed the wisdom of the world, but it's not rooted in God. It's not rooted in truth. It's rooted in greed and selfishness and survival. Truth. Everything I have belongs to God. In Job 12 and then in Corinthians 4 and Corinthians 6, it speaks how he created the world and everything that fills it, even you and me, completely. 
There is nothing that we own apart from him. So what do we get from that? Well, God is the first owner of all goods. Now that's from, get ready for this title, the Compendium of the Social Doctrine of the Church. So it is all of the Catholic Church's social doctrine. And paragraph 324, God is the first owner of all goods. So truth, wealth exists to be shared. And I'm just going to read from this compendium, the church social uh, doctrine here. Paragraph 329, riches fulfill their function of service to man when they are destined to produce benefits for others and for society. How could we ever do good to our neighbor, asks St. Clement of Alexandria, if none of us possessed anything? Wealth is good that comes from God, that is to be used by its owner and made to circulate so that even the needy may enjoy it. Wealth, explains St. Basil the Great, is like water that issues forth from the fountain. The greater the frequency with which it is drawn, the purer it is, while it becomes foul if the fountain remains unused. So, wow. There's a lot there. But sharing and giving and being generous, it's got to start now. Even if we don't have a fountain that we think can be turned on to create a gushing torrent, some do, and that's awesome. But for those of us that don't, we need to create space now. And at whatever level we were at, to be generous and to start giving. Otherwise, we will wait and wait and wait until we, we are totally satisfied before we start to give. So give now. I've heard stories of people living in third world poverty-stricken countries that don't have enough food for their own families, yet they will still share what little they have with their neighbors. So truth, I need to be generous today. That's all I have today. Four money myths and the truth to replace them. And there's, there's hundreds more and new ones all the time. And we find that as we go through life, we're constantly bombarded with these money myths. Sometimes it might be clever marketing from a financial firm. Other times it might be just a broke friend's opinion that we latch on to. But what we need in those circumstances is truth. Scripture is full of truth. The catechism is full of truth. If you want some heavier reading, the compendium of the social doctrine of the church is full of truth. We can learn the truth from the saints, from their writings, and from their lives. So seek the truth. And as we are reminded in John 8.32, the truth will set you free. And that is why replacing money myths with money truths is an essential element of a good financial plan. I hope this has been helpful. Thank you for being here today. God bless. Thank you for listening to Catholic Money Talk. I hope you join us again next time. Please click subscribe in your podcast app to get notified of new episodes. God bless you and have a great day.